You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, if you don't mind. We have just a few more weeks in the book of Galatians, and then we're going to move on to the minor prophet Joel. So just in a few weeks, we're going to go from a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia to the minor prophet Joel. That'll be in just a few weeks. We have just a few more weeks left. So pick it up in Galatians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. If you are a guest today, we're glad you're here, and uh, we appreciate very much you choosing to worship with us today. And uh, We'd love to get to know you. Uh, there's some visitor cards. If you didn't get a visitor bag, we got some in the back for you. If you did, a little card in there you could fill out. We would greatly appreciate that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case... The offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Father, it is absolutely true that you have a place for me in heaven. It is absolutely true that you have gone to prepare a place for me and that I will inherit that place. Father, it is absolutely and completely true that when my life is over here, my life has just begun. And Father, I didn't earn any of that. I didn't earn a place in your kingdom. I didn't earn a place in heaven. I didn't, I didn't impress you with my good works to such a degree that, that you swung the gate open wide and welcomed me in. No, Father, it was not by my hands or by my work. But it was by that beautiful work that you did, what you accomplished on the cross, that is by faith, that salvation comes not by works. And so, Father, you have been teaching us that over and over. But, Father, there is still this desire in all of us that comes from our flesh to want to check boxes and think somehow that we're impressing you. But, Father, you already love us with an everlasting love. So, Father, as Paul has repeated himself, Father, we have repeated ourselves. And I, I pray, Father, that the message of this letter to these churches, I pray that it's taking root. I pray that it bears much fruit to your honor. As Jesus says in 30, 60, 100 fold, I pray, Father, that, that being set free, Father, bears much fruit. Father, thank you for the goodness and beauty of your word. God us in it this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I wanted to somehow um, illustrate for you this morning just, just how cumbersome and enslaving trying to keep the law really is. So I came across a video that, uh, well, it's going to make you scratch your head. And, I, and that's intentional. Uh, if you've ever been in Manhattan, uh, if you've ever been in that city, you probably didn't notice uh, something that is there. Matter of fact, most people would never notice it. So this video is going to explain to you just how far legalism and keeping the law will take you. The idea of creating holy space is really an idea that 
people generally appreciate today. One of the prohibited activities on the Sabbath is something called carrying. The rabbis realized the difficulty in enjoying the Sabbath if you weren't allowed to carry outside of the house. And therefore, they created a construct in which the area in which the Jews lived was enclosed first by a wall or a fence, and then eventually by a symbolic wall or fence, which was created by setting up two poles and a string on the top of the two poles. And that imaginary wall served to religiously enclose the neighborhood and to allow Jews to carry within that neighborhood. What's amazing is that in 1970, there were under 10 Arubs in all of North America. Now I would say there are over 200 Arubs. Yes, there is an Arub in Manhattan. The Arub that began in 1999 as a small community Arub on the Upper West Side is now the Arub that encloses almost all of Manhattan from 126th Street all the way down to the southern tip of Manhattan. The rabbi goes early in the morning on Thursday to check the entire enclosure to make sure that the strings and the poles are all exactly where they need to be. And then he, at the end of that, identifies places that might need to be repaired. If there is a place that needs to be repaired, this rabbi meets the maintenance company first thing on Friday morning, and they repair the Arab. The upkeep of the Arab, the maintenance of the Arab, the rabbi, costs a, a little over $100,000 a year. The Manhattan Arab is the most expensive Arab in the world. But I'm happy to report that our Arab has never been down. Not after the Thanksgiving parade where some of the, um, some of the floats knocked down our Arab strings and not even after Hurricane Sandy. The A-Roof has always been um, repaired and ready for service come Friday afternoon. So let me break that down for you. So in the city of Manhattan, there's 18 miles of continuous wire that is strung in a circle around that block, he said from 126th Street all the way down near the tip of Manhattan. So here's the idea that to honor the Sabbath within Orthodox Judaism, you, you cannot work on that day. And so work was defined as carrying anything outside your house. So get this understanding that, that if you were to carry a uh, set of keys outside of your house, of your dwelling, that was violating the Sabbath. If you carried a child that could not walk, if you carried a child outside your house, any child, that was violating the Sabbath. If you carried your Torah outside your house, which was the boundaries of where you had freedom inside your house to carry things, if you, if you walk outside that boundary, you have violated the Sabbath. So as cities grew and as Jewish people took up habitats in those cities, you know, there was a huge challenge. How in the world are we going to function? How in the world are we going to be able to both honor the Sabbath, but at the same time be able to live? Well, what they did is they said, let's string up a border. Now, in many years past, a, a border might be a, a walled fence or a wall around a community of Jewish people. And inside of those walls was still considered their home, which therefore gave them the freedom to be able to carry things outside of their home and not violate the Sabbath. You see where I'm going here? 
So in Manhattan, there is a large Jewish community within Manhattan. So how in the world is this Jewish community going to be able to function and still be able to honor the Sabbath and, and be allowed to carry things? Well, here's what they did. They put up an imaginary wall 18 miles in circumference around the city, and a priest and the Jews of that city decided that that string, that wire, represents a wall. So anything within that wire, you can carry children, you can carry your Torah, you can carry groceries, you can do whatever. You can live in freedom because it's considered inside your home. $100,000 a year just to keep that up. All for the sake of keeping the Sabbath. Now, we... Paul, and we have been looking at Paul's argument. Paul has said multiple times that the law will enslave you. Can, can we all agree that what we just saw in that video is not freedom? Not by any stretch of the imagination? So the idea is, is that if I'm standing on this side of that, imagine, that wire that stretched, if I'm, if I'm standing on this side of the wire, I can carry my, my keys. If I step across that wire, that imaginary boundary, that has been established. If I walk on the other side of that by carrying my keys, get this, I have violated the Sabbath. Folks, that is far, far, far from what Christ came and gave us in the new covenant. Now, understanding that those who are Orthodox Jews do not recognize Jesus as Messiah, but nonetheless, the law was never meant to enslave to that degree. Here you have man's traditions that are added alongside God's word. What was, what was the Sabbath meant for? The Sabbath was meant for rest, and it was meant for worship. Not what you just saw. Not at all. So Paul has been arguing and arguing and arguing that if you turn back to the law for justification, if you turn back to the law to be right with God, you are enslaving yourself. You are, you are giving up the freedom that Christ has provided. And remember that Paul is writing to a church. These are, he's referred to them many times as brothers. He, he's referred to them many times as his brothers, as his children of the faith. These are people who have experienced the freedom that Christ offers. They have, they have experienced forgiveness. They have been justified as we saw in chapter 2 and chapter 3. They have been adopted by God that we saw in chapter 3. These people have moved from death unto life. So Paul is perplexed as to why they wouldn't want to go back and put themselves in a yoke of slavery. The, the whole premise of an Arab that, that you can boundary off a city and within that city is considered your home just to be able to get around the law that they think they are keeping. Seems rather silly, doesn't it? But did you know that churches do the same thing? What we're going to get to today is where Paul's been leading us throughout this entire letter. You see, we've been talking about the law. And we've been talking about these Judaizers who've crept into the church. And he's been making a pretty strong argument that there's no way to go back. And if you do, it enslaves. But now Paul's going to get a little bit more personal in this part of the book, in this part of the letter. He's going to move from his argument to his application. And in doing so, what he's going to bring our attention to is the whole idea of not just keeping the law, but something that's a little bit more personal to the church even today. And it's the concept of legalism. The whole idea that, that a church... Uh, people who've been delivered and set free and forgiven, that then they can begin to set boundaries of what is righteous and what is unrighteous, all for the sole purpose of pointing at someone else and going, you are less than. It's called legalism. Paul is going to shift in chapter 5, and he's going to start talking about application, and he's also going to start talking about a secret weapon, something that we've been given as believers, something we've been given that, that changes everything when it comes to respect of the law, in respect of conviction, in respect of, well, just, just outright encouragement, that, that there is joy found in following Jesus, and, and that we've been given an incredible gift. Paul is now going to begin to focus on that incredible gift in chapters 5 and chapter 6 as he closes out this letter. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been more concerned about being seen attending church than coming together and actually worshiping God? Now, that's a very personal question, but I believe you know the answer to it. 
Because there have been times down through my life that I came to church, not because I came to worship corporately, but because of expectation, because of some box I'm checking. I, I didn't come to enjoy what we've already enjoyed this morning, corporate worship along with the worship team, and now corporate worship in the respect of hearing God's word proclaimed. I didn't come for those reasons. I came because either I was expected to come or I didn't want people to think badly of me if I didn't go. So the idea was the, 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 the motivation the motivation for being part of a church, the motivation for being involved in the church was an external factor, not an internal. You see the difference. Have you, have you, have you ever been quick to argue over theology or, or doctrine or, or, or the rapture or no rapture or, or all the different areas of theology that they're not central to the gospel? There are other areas of theology that are important but not central to the gospel. Have you been quick to argue about those things? As a matter of fact, take great pride, great pride in your arguing ability while at the same time, at the same time not telling anybody about the gospel. So arguing for a particular theological persuasion but yet week in and week out, never even one time telling another person about the hope you found in Christ. Have you been hung up on the 10% tithe your entire life? Have you been hung up on the idea that I'm going to give a, a tenth to my church, I'm going to give a tenth of my, of my earnings to the church while at the same time blowing 40% on things that don't matter? What I am describing for you is legalism. What I am describing for you is, is the boundaries that we have marked off and we have decided that if you're standing on this side of the boundary, you're righteous, but if you're on the other side, you're not. Are, are we quick to point out the sins of another while ignoring our own? That is absolute, the very core of what legalism is. So now what Paul is going to do, he's been talking about the law versus grace. He's been talking about faith versus works. He's been talking about justification, meaning we've been made right with God through an act of his grace and our faith in that work. But now what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, I, I want to get a little bit more personal here. And I want to tell you about not only how legalism creeps in, but what your secret weapon is. So what Paul's going to do is he's going to show us again, yet again, some things that we're going to lose. And yes, some of these arguments are some of the same arguments he's already made. But this church needed the repetition, and apparently so do we. Legalism is the application of rules and regulations for achieving salvation or spiritual maturity. That's what legalism is. If you want to define it, legalism is the idea, the premise that we're going to apply a set of rules, we're going to apply a set of regulations, and the end goal is that is either salvation and or spiritual maturity. And that's what Paul's been trying to tell us and warn us about. So let's pick it up in verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Notice how he phrases that. Paul says that the end goal is freedom. Freedom from what? Now remember, freedom... It's not the unrestricted uh, activity that we can do whatever we want. You see, freedom is not doing what we can do. Freedom is doing what we should do. There's a difference. Should do means we are restricted by something. Should, should means that there are things that we could do, but we choose not to do because of a higher purpose. Paul says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. What's really interesting about the Greek behind that English translation is just how much he emphasizes freedom. So if you were to, if you were to read a Greek and exactly translate it the way Paul wrote it, it would sound something like this. For freedom, Christ has freed us for freedom. <laughs> That's what it would say. For freedom, Christ has freed us for freedom. It's almost like Paul wants us to see something here, right? He says, for freedom, you have been set free. And then notice what he says. He says, stand firm therefore. In other words, don't let anyone take your freedom in Christ. Don't let anyone draw a boundary, whether you're on this side or on the other side, and, and live your life by somebody else's tradition. Live your life by the expressed inerrant Revelation of his word and what we see in Christ. He says, stand, therefore. This church did not stand in that freedom. You see, here's the thing. If you're going to pursue legalism, you will give up your freedom. You can't have it both ways. So, so the first point I want to make just right out of verse 1 is that if you pursue legalism, 
If you pursue that, just know that when you do, you will give up your freedom in Christ. Uh, the church I grew up in, I love that church very much. I still to this day love that church. And I've told you before about my testimony about coming to Christ there at age 16 in that church. I heard the gospel proclaimed. Um, I, I heard men teach God's word powerfully. I saw the Holy Spirit move, but there was a tinge of legalism in the church that I grew up in because we were fiercely independent Baptists. Took great pride in that. And there were all kinds of rules and regulations where a, a, a circle had been drawn inside of that church and, and, and there was scripture that was being misused to set a boundary and that boundary had nothing to do with God's word and it had everything to do with men's traditions about what a woman could or could not wear when she came to church. Had to be a dress. Couldn't be pants. That's the church I grew up in. And they would use scripture from the Old Testament in particular to try to prove that point. When in fact, that text doesn't teach that at all. They, they would look down at people who might have a tattoo that was visible. Now folks, I, I, won't, I, mean, I mean to make you uncomfortable this morning. So, Because the text makes us uncomfortable. So I mean to make you a little uncomfortable this morning. That we begin to look down our nose at other people. Um, not my church that I grew up in, but many churches in the South especially during the 50s and the 60s, would look at someone who's African-American and look down upon them just because of the color of their skin. And they drew this circle and said, anybody in our circle, which might be that you're Caucasian, if you're inside the circle, you're righteous. If you're outside the circle, well, not so much. That's legalism in its worst form. Paul says, Christ freed us for freedom. And then Paul says, stand firm. Anytime Paul says stand firm, there is a potential for us to not stand firm. That's why he's saying it. He says, do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. This yoke of slavery, that should sound familiar because if you remember in early stages of this letter, when we were just getting into it, we went back to Acts 15. Acts 15, that Jerusalem council where the church had to make some decisions as to whether the church is just going to be an offshoot of Judaism or is the church something new and beautiful that is by God's grace? Are we going to add circumcision and Sabbath keeping in? Or are we simply going to take Jesus at his word and experience his freedom? Here, Paul uses that same term that was used in Acts 15 about where Peter said, why would we expect these new believers to add the law into their life when that was a yoke of slavery that we couldn't fulfill, we couldn't fulfill the law, we couldn't keep it, we know we couldn't. Why would we want to put that around the neck of these people who are putting their faith in Jesus? So it's a yoke of slavery. You know what a yoke is, right? It's a, it's a wooden block. I've got one hanging up in my, at the cabin back in the mountains. I've got one hanging up. It came out of my, my wife's family's home, and it's, a, it's an ox yoke, and it's a big block of wood with some leather straps on it and I hang that up because of this text and the idea is, is two, oak, two oxen uh, would put their head in and you strap them in and then it would be strapped to a plow and the idea is, is that these two oxen are going to pull the plow and what, what Peter is saying in Acts 15 and what Paul is saying here in, in, uh, in Galatians 5 he's saying that trying to add law to the gospel is like putting your head in a yoke and clamping it down He says that we are not to submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're either submitted to Christ or you're submitted to slavery through legalism. Now, this may remind you of another time that a yoke was used in teaching. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. I think it's very important that we see this. Matthew chapter 11, because you might be, if you're, a, if you're in God's word, you may go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying, don't put our neck in the yoke of slavery, yet there was a time where Jesus was teaching and he says, take my yoke upon you. Does that seem contradictory? Was Jesus talking about the, the yoke of, of legalism and the law? Not at all. I want to show you this. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's one of my favorite pictures that Jesus gave of himself. He says in verse 28, Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Great. 
So if we come to Jesus and we're burdened down with, with burden of sin, with burden of life, with, with, with burden of circumstances in our life, great, I can go to Jesus and I can get all that removed and I can have a happy, wonderful life. Okay, I'm tracking. I'm, I'm good so far. All right. He's going to give us rest. Great. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like rest to me. That sounds like work. If, if we're not supposed to put the yoke on that, that Paul is talking about, then, then why would Jesus say, take a yoke upon you? Well, the difference is, is that one little word there, take my yoke upon you. Okay, let's read on. This is beautiful. He says, take my yoke upon you. Then he says this, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me give you the imagery of what Paul is, or what Jesus is teaching here about this yoke. Apparently, Jesus has a yoke, and he's inviting us to join him in that yoke. And the imagery, if you had been uh, here in, in this agricultural world in which they live, you would have immediately caught this imagery. Uh, the idea was is that if you're a farmer and you had a yoke and you had an ox, you put that ox in the yoke and you had a, you, you'd usually have one ox that was very well trained and very good at plowing. He's mature and he's been plowing for a long time. And what you would do is you would take a young ox that hasn't learned how to, to pull a plow. And what you would do is you'd yoke that young, inexperienced, immature ox with this mature ox so that this mature ox can teach the younger ox how to pull the plow and how to function. Get this, Jesus is already in the yoke and he is far more experienced, far more knowledgeable. He has the world in the palm of his hands. And what he says to us is join him in the work that he's already doing, and he will teach us and train us in the work that he's given us to do. And get this, his work, well, his yoke, well, he's gentle. He's patient. He's lowly in heart. And get this, in that work, you will find rest for your souls. He says that his burden, his yoke is easy and light. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be yoked up with somebody, I want to be yoked up with him. Amen. If there's a plow for me to pull, if there's a work for me to do, if there's a purpose for me to live out that I have now found in Christ, then I want to be yoked up with the creator of the universe. Who better? And what, what Paul is saying and what Peter argued in Acts 15 is, is the yoke that they had their neck in. Paul had it in, had his neck in that yoke for many years of his life, trying to keep the law. He even said that he was keeping the law better than anyone. And he said it was a burden. He said he couldn't accomplish it. And Paul said he gave up that yoke. And he yoked up with Jesus. And he says, there you'll find freedom and peace and purpose. Go back to Galatians. So the first thing you got to understand is, is if you take your head out of that yoke and you put it back in legalism, well, then you've lost your freedom. But Paul is going to get even more serious about what you're going to lose. Look at verse 2. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision. Now, Paul takes this one issue because apparently that was one issue that the Judaizers within this church was pushing. And they were saying basically that for the males of that church, that if you are following Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, that justification is not complete until you have been circumcised. They could have said the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath. Uh, they, they could have said sacrificing an animal. So apparently this was one of the issues these false teachers were pushing. Now notice this. He says, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept that, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So not only will you lose your freedom, but you're going to lose your advantages in Christ. There are all kinds of advantages in following Jesus and being yoked to him. And he says here, he says here that Christ will profit you nothing. That word right there, it says no advantage. Some of your translations may say no, no profit. Uh, it's because the, the Greek word has a, a financial connotation to it. In other words, that following Jesus, there are advantages. There are, well, incredible profits to be gained by following him. And basically, if you choose to yoke up in the law, if you choose legalism, you are removing yourself from the advantages of what it means to follow Jesus in freedom and in peace. So first of all, following Christ will profit you nothing because you have separated yourself from him and have yoked back up with the law. Notice what else he says. Verse 3, 
He says, I testify to you again. Notice Paul's words here, his emphasis. He says, I testify to you again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated. You see that word obligated? It means to be indebted. If you put your neck back in that yoke, if, if, you, if you say to these Judeans, okay, 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 we'll be circumcised, or okay, 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 we'll start honoring the Sabbath. If you go down that path, make sure you understand that you are now obligated, indebted to keep all 613 of those laws. So not only have you lost your benefit in Christ, your advantage in Christ, but now you are in debt to the law, the entire law, all of the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the law. So if you go down the path of circumcision or Sabbath keeping or whatever circle you are drawing, look, whatever church, whatever, whatever church that is legalistic is drawing this circle and we're saying that this boundary, you must keep these things, you must check these boxes or other you're less than, make sure you understand that you are now indebted to the entire law. So Christ profits you nothing. You're now in debt. Look at verse 4. This gets real serious. Look at this. He says, you are severed from Christ. What does that mean? That's serious. You are severed. In other words, the power of Christ in your life is nullified, brought to nothing. He says, you are severed from Christ. Notice this. And finally, he says, you have fallen away from grace. <gasps> Wait a minute. Does this mean that the Galatian church has lost their salvation? Does this mean that when they yoked up in the law, that now all of a sudden that they have lost their salvation, that they've got to be resaved and rebaptized, and, and that there is the possibility of losing your salvation? Absolutely not. Do not walk out of this building today, or if you're watching online, do not for a single moment think that what Paul is teaching here is that salvation is somehow up to you holding on to it. If, if you believe that, then you believe in legalism. Here's the point. Paul says that as a believer, we have entered into the sphere of grace. When we placed our faith in Jesus, we have entered into this realm of God's grace, the gift that he has given us. But if you choose to put your head back in the yoke of the law, you are removing yourself from this fear of grace and you're going to try to go your own route. You are going to try to do it yourself. You are going to impress God. You are going to keep the law. You are going to define the boundaries. And it's all about you. And the reality is, you haven't lost your salvation. The reality is, is you've removed yourself by a conscious choice from all of the benefits of what it means to follow Jesus. Falling from grace doesn't mean that you're lost. Falling from grace means you're living like you're lost. You know the difference? Falling from grace in this context, notice what Paul has said throughout this entire letter. He's writing to a church. These people are born-again believers. He said that over and over again. In fact, in verse 5, notice what he does. Verse 5, he says, uh, For th through the Spirit, by faith, look at this, we ourselves eagerly await. Paul is including himself in the letter. He says, brothers, I am in the fight with you. We are together. Paul being obviously a follower of Jesus, the church being followers of Jesus, we are in this together. So absolutely in no way does the context tell us or anything else about Paul's writing tell us that you can be saved today and lost tomorrow and that work is some work that you do. If so, well, guess what? You've turned salvation into works. If, look, salvation is not you holding on to God. Salvation is God holding you. Folks, y'all got to get that difference now. Listen, Jesus said very clearly, we are in the palm of God's hand. Nothing shall pluck us out. Romans chapter 8, we'll also separate us from the love of Christ. Neither height, depth, nothing created in this planet can separate us from the love of God. Paul is not saying you lose your salvation, but you forfeit all the benefits of salvation. By putting your head back in the yoke of the law. And I can testify to you, I can tell you that I have been in a many a church, I've spoken to many a church over 18 years of ministry, and I can tell you I've been in churches that have forfeited all of this, and they don't even recognize it. They, they have forfeited it. They, they are teaching 
a law-keeping, a, a legalistic gospel that is not the gospel at all. And when you walk into that congregation, there's no love. It was gone years ago. And what has replaced it is pride. What has replaced it is, I'm better than you because I wear a suit and you don't. I'm better than you because I, I wear a dress. Ladies are wearing a dress and you're wearing pants. I'm, I'm better than you because I sing in the choir and you don't. I'm better than you because I teach Sunday school. I'm better than you because I have the title of deacon. And it goes on and on. And what, what should be a loving congregation that loves people no matter what and where they've been, what it done becomes is a hierarchy of legalism. And can I just tell you that that church has ceased being a church. Y'all have experienced it. You know what I'm talking about. Lord, help you if you've been divorced in that church. Lord, help you if you've got a tattoo that shows. Lord, help you if you've got any piercings. Lord, help you if your hair is blue or pink or some other color. Because when you walk in the door, you're going to feel the legalism as soon as you walk in. It's because they've drawn a boundary. You're not in the circle. You're on the outside. And until you look like them and talk like them and act like them, you're going to be unrighteous. That is not the truth of God's word, and it's not the gospel. And we have churches all across the state that are dying as a result. And you know what I think? You, you might be offended by this. If that church has compromised the gospel, if that church has compromised the truth of God's word, if that church has bought into a yoke of legalism, let it die. Amen. It's easier to raise a baby. It's easier to birth a baby than raise the dead. <laughs> let them die. The Judaizers are arguing that the Galatian church is missing something. Legalists always argue that you're missing something. The gospel's not enough. God's word is not enough. We've got to add something to it. We've got we to do what the videos show. We've got we to gotta, we gotta interpret this for a way that we can live and have freedom while at the same time be yoked in slavery. The problem is, is that legalism will rob you of your freedom. It, it, will, it will undermine all the advantages of what it means to be in Christ. And all that is left is, is you and your strength, well, to pull this off. So when you choose legalism, make sure you understand what you're choosing. You're choosing to forfeit your freedom and forfeit your advantages in Christ. And then third, look at verse 7, you will also lose direction. You will also lose direction. Verse 7, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were running well. This is a, this is a favorite image of, of Paul, imagery that Paul uses often, and it's the idea of a foot race. The, the Greek Olympic Games, or what would be the precursor to the Olympic Games, was happening in the Greek world, and Paul knew about it. So what they would do is much like what you see today is there's going to be a foot race. They would line you up, put you in a lane. This is your lane. Stay in your lane. Don't run in that lane. Don't run in that. Don't encroach on the other. They had rules just like we have today. And Paul says here, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you? You see that word hindered? It's the idea of, of someone crossing over into your lane. So the imagery here is, is that Olympic Games where they're running on a track and you have a course marked out and you're just staying your course, but someone else has encroached on your path. For this letter, it's the Judaizers. And the idea is, is that when they encroach on your path, they're going to nudge you onto another path. Or, or nudge you completely off. Remember what we talked about last week, the story in Pilgrim's Progress with Christian who's on his way to the white picket gate and all of a sudden worldly wise men says, wait a minute, there's another way. And he ends up with a mountain of law and he can't cross it. You see, Christian got nudged off the path. He got bumped into. And he was told there's some easier way. There's some other way other than grace. So, so here, try this path. Paul says, Listen, church, you were taught the gospel, you responded to the gospel, but somebody has bumped you out of your lane. Who has hindered you? Who has gotten in your way? Who's cut in on you? Well, you know who it is. It's the false teachers who've crept into this church. Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Now, why would Paul include that verse 8 right there? Paul says to them, 
And this is a very practical statement. Paul says, this thing, this going back to the law, this legalism that you're encroaching in, that's coming into your church, listen, that persuasion is not from the one who called you. Why does Paul say that? Because those Judaizers, no doubt, inside this church are saying, well, this is what God told us. God told us to do this. God's telling you to do it as well. The Holy Spirit's telling us to do this. And they will use God as a tool to manipulate other people. The problem is, is it doesn't line up with the truth of the gospel. So Paul says, make sure you understand the source of this. It is not God. God is not adding this to the gospel. The gospel that you responded to, the gospel that changed your life. God is not saying now be circumcised or honor the Sabbath. This is not from God. Well, if it's not from God, who is it from? We might want to pause here and think about that. Who wants to destroy the church through infighting and pride and gossip? Who wants to tear the church apart? What, what, is, what is God's mode of reaching the world and building the kingdom, the local church? Who is against that? Who will introduce legalism into a church to derail it? Who will, lead, who will introduce this and bump the church out of its lane of gospel into works? Who would do that? Satan certainly would do that. Amen. He would certainly do that. And for my assessment... He's been pretty effective. Paul uses another illustration. He says, who kept you, who, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You see, when Satan attacks the church, he doesn't have to go in there and say, Christ is not God. He doesn't have to do that. What he does do is just a little bit of legalism here, just a, just a little bit of yeast and a little bit of yeast, ladies and men who cook and bake, you know, a little bit of yeast makes a big, big difference, right? It puffs up. A little bit of legalism in the church, it puffs up. How? Well, we're living inside of our boundary. We're the righteous ones. They're not. Pride, arrogance. A little bit of leaven. In this church... Satan has introduced a big dose of yeast into this church and it's dividing this church. And that's why Paul has been repeating himself over and over again. He says that a little bit of yeast, a little bit impacts the entire loaf. A little bit of legalism has tremendous impact. He says here, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is troubling you, he's going to bear the penalty, whoever he is, but, I brother still, but if I brother still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In other words, Paul says, I grew up as a Jew. I, I was a Jew of all Jews. The line of, in the line of Hebrews, climbing the ladder to be a leader among the Jewish people. If I'm, still preaching if I'm still preaching circumcision, then why are you guys attacking me? Apparently, Paul's credibility was being undermined. They were using Paul's name to say that Paul agreed with them, when in fact, that's why he's writing this letter, he does not. I told you about the secret weapon. And that's where Paul is going in chapters 5 and 6. He only mentions it once in the text that we're looking at today. But in the coming weeks, you're going to hear all about this secret weapon. Go back to verse 5. I meant to hit this while I was back there and I didn't. For through the Spirit, if you underline in your Bible or highlight, highlight that. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. So the idea of the righteousness that we are called to live out, the holiness we're to live out, that, that we have been given the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And as he unpacks this in the closing parts of this letter, he's going to come back to this over and over again that those who have their yoke in the yoke with Christ are going to live differently and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how in the world are we going to do this? How in the world are we going to live out a faith that is not legalistic? You've been given all that you need. The Holy Spirit is going to not only help you, but convict you, enlighten you, empower you, illuminate you. The Holy Spirit is the one that's living in you. It, it is Christ living in you and the Holy Spirit that is going to keep us living in freedom. He says at the very beginning, stand firm therefore. How do we prevent from going down this path of this yoke? It's through the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to be unpacking that in the week's head. But for now, just understand that our defense or offense, depending on how you want to look at it, against legalism is yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Yieldedness 
to the one who authored this book. When I was, uh, when I was still in the electrical field and doing electrical work, and Tracy and I hadn't been married but a couple of years, uh, the church that we were attending wanted me to become a deacon. And uh, this church has had a long, long, long history. And uh, it's also the church that I served at as associate pastor before I came here. And so when they asked me to be a deacon, I think I was 29 or 30. And uh, I was, had a lot of apprehension about that, a lot, and uh, wrestled with it quite a bit. But over a period of time, I finally surrendered to that and, and, and became part of the deacon ministry at that church. And it was on this particular Sunday night that I also worked with the student pastor, youth pastor, and helping with teenager stuff. So I was the bus driver and the food picker-upper and the cleaner-upper at the end of the night, all that stuff, and I, I loved doing it. Uh, and it was on this particular night that our student pastor was having a big event over in the gym, and I had a deacon's meeting right before that. So I, I come to church dressed for the youth event, and I had all a pair of shorts. Yeah, some of you are already groaning. Oh, my goodness. You legalist, you. You haven't been listening at all. I came in a pair of shorts. They were nice shorts, you know, cargo shorts. But I'm, I'm here because i got to work with the teenagers. I'm over there playing basketball and hanging out with them. So I came to the deacons meeting dressed for the youth event. Even if I hadn't had a youth event, I probably would have been wearing shorts anyway, just so you know. I'm on the way to the deacons meeting, and this uh, senior gentleman who was not serving actively with the deacons at that point, but had served as a deacon for many years. He pulls me off the side. When I say pull, I'm not saying, come here. I'm talking hand right under here. He pulls me off to the side, and he lets me have it. And when I mean he lets me have it, I'm talking, it's on like Donkey Kong, okay? I mean, he's just preaching at me like there's no more. You know what it was, right? I had on shorts at church. Just a few weeks ago, that same man laid his hands on me as they ordained me for the decommission. That same man laid his hands on me and prayed for me. That same man has now got me off to the side, blessing me out. How dare I disrespect that church and how dare I come up in there as a young deacon that other people are watching my life and you need to be wearing something more appropriate. And honestly, I feel my flesh rising up. I'm getting angry. I can feel it. But I had a Bible in my hand. I had a Bible. Because, you know, I'm at church. <laughs> I'm going to youth group. So I had my Bible with me. So after he finally, I mean, he's red-faced. You see, what he had done is he drew a circle. He's standing in the circle. What for him is the circle? Suit and tie for deacons. Well, now I'm standing on the outside of the circle. It doesn't matter that not only am I an image bearer of God, not only have I been born again, and not only has this church said, we want you to serve in this ministry and set me apart for that ministry. None of that mattered. In that moment, there was a line, and I was on the outside of it, and it was this guy in his mind, his responsibility to correct me. So finally, when I got a word in edgewise, I didn't want to disrespect him. I didn't, I didn't want to... I didn't want to show the same disrespect for him that I felt like he was showing me. So here's what I did. I looked at him and I said, uh, took my Bible and I handed him my Bible and I said, if you can show me clearly in Scripture what I am doing wrong, I will go home right now and change my clothes. Well, <coughs> well, <coughs> it just ain't right. It just ain't right. No, no, no. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking you about man's traditions. I'm asking you about the, the inspired Word of God. What does it say? Because you sure are pretty certain about what is right and wrong. So obviously that's got to be in God's word. Well, you know the result. He had no way of showing me that what I was doing was wrong. And I said, until you do, I'm going to continue on with what God has called me to do. He drew a boundary. I was on the outside of it. A boundary that didn't exist in God's word. A boundary that was steeped in the tradition of men, not in the revealed truth of God's word. In Matthew 23, verse 24, you don't have to turn over there. Matter of fact, if you're, a, if you're a struggling legalist, go read chapter 23 of Matthew. It's a whole lot harder than what I've said this morning. Jesus says, woe to you. And one of those woes, Jesus says this to the legalists that were in the room that day. Jesus says this, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. 
They were so, so concerned about eating something, something going inside of them that would violate God's rules and laws for what they would consume. They would strain their water to make sure that no gnats were in the water. But yet Jesus says, you, you strain out a gnat, but you're willing to swallow a camel. In other words, you, you, you look at this with intent, focus, but over here in your life, you're not, you're not paying any attention to that. Let me give you the creed of a legalist, the creed, the doctrinal statement of a legalist. And we're going to close. The creed of a legalist goes something like this. If I follow these rules, I will become a more spiritual, righteous person. I believe I have what it takes to obey and improve myself and measure up to the standards. I will know that I am making progress by comparing myself to others who are less diligent than me. Others should watch and follow me. And God is certainly fortunate that I belong to him. It is too bad that others aren't as spiritual as I am. That is the creed of a legalist. That was the creed of the false teachers in this church. And at one point, this was the same creed that Paul had. Remember Paul arresting Christians, throwing them in jail? That was the same creed he lived by. But listen to the creed of a former legalist. This is what that creed sounds like. I have been set free by Christ, and I am no longer in bondage to the law. I have been given the Holy Spirit who will control my life from the inside, and I will yield to him. Through the love of the Holy Spirit, I have a desire to serve others more than myself. I have been given the life of liberty, and I want to live it to the fullest. For his glory, for he made it possible. You're either living your life by the external forces or by the internal force that lives in you, one or the other. You are either following, you are either a child of Sarah, remember last week, or Hagar. The two can't be mixed together. You are either walking by grace or walking in the law, and you can't mix the two. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to consider maybe, just maybe, for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that just maybe there might be some tinges of legalism somewhere under the surface. Because remember what Paul said? Paul said, stand therefore. Do not budge here. Make sure you're not forfeiting your freedom. It very well could be that there could be, just out of our flesh and our pride, this opportunity to look down on others. Maybe, just maybe, on the inside of us, we have some legalism. We've drawn a circle over here we didn't even realize till today. And we're using that, not God's word, we're using that to judge everyone else. It may be that some of us have the condition called plank eye. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 7. He says, remove the plank out of your eye. We all struggle with it, including me. This time of commitment this morning is for the Holy Spirit to maybe point out some things in our life that maybe, just maybe, we've walked away from grace. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydeparkbaptchurch, or on social media on Facebook.